I remember when I was in seminary, um, after I so finish up my, my second to last year of seminary, uh, we get ordained a deacon. And um, when I was preparing for my diaconate ordination, I remember we were going through, uh, me and Father Bryce particularly, um, we would sit back and kind of wonder where we were going to get assigned as deacons. Um, we kind of had these ideas and we were kind of guessing and, well, this priest could use me and this priest could, and this priest, and I, maybe I'll end up over there or whatever. And we would just kind of sit back and daydream and, and just kind of try and call our shot and none of it came true. Um, but I remember one particular time, um, uh, or whenever I got the phone call and they said, hey, uh, you're going to be going to St. Thomas to be under Father Andre. Um, I remember that was not on my radar. Um, so I, I, I get ordained, I come here, I move in, get all excited. Uh, but it didn't get official until I got the keys. Uh, there, there was just something about that moment where uh, I was actually handed the keys and it's like, now you have access to the building. Now if something breaks and you forgot to lock it, it's your fault, right? Like there's an, there's an authority and a responsibility that came with it the moment that I got the keys. Um, in the same way, whenever I finished up my assignment and went back to school, it was the same thing. I give the keys back. And, okay, now the authority and the responsibility, it goes away, and I move on to my next thing, right? Um, and this, was, this has happened. Uh, the interesting thing is it's happened with these same set of keys now three times uh, just to come to St. Thomas. Um, Father Patrick this week will break my record and get the set of keys for the fourth time, but whatever. Um, but he has no responsibility. But anyway, um, but I, I, there's just something about even like I think for any one of us, right, um, whether we buy a new house, buy a new car, um, move into an apartment, uh, get your dorm room for the first time, whatever it is, there's something about whenever you pick up your keys that there's just a, an ownership, an authority, like there's something that, that comes with it that I'm handed the keys and now it's mine, right? Like I, there's an authority that, that that space is something that I have control over. So that, that space is something um, that I can claim like legitimate, uh, legitimate claim to, right? It becomes mine. In, in the same way, uh, our first reading in our gospel, we hear about this image of keys, and we're, don't worry, we're not going to just talk about getting a new car or a house today. Um, but the, the, it's particularly the authority that goes along with it. What we hear in the first reading is the, the, the Lord speaks through the prophet Isaiah and says, I'm going to take the authority off of this person and put it on Eliakim. Like, this is going to be my prophet. This is going to be my person. This is going to be the one who's going to take over the house of David. And what he binds, when he locks the door, the door is locked. And when he opens the door, the door is open. And you're not going to have control. Like, he's going to be the one. He's going to be my selection to be in control. It's my authority that he exercises over the house of David. Now, the Old Testament, all of our apostles, all Jesus, right, they, they know the Old Testament. So it's the background for today's gospel that they, they remember this passage from the prophet Isaiah. And they remember the authority that went along with the keys. So when Jesus and His apostles, they have this little exchange. They have these quest this question and answer and this, this kind of back and forth. There's something very, very powerful that's taking place. In the tradition of our church, this Gospel is the, the foundation of the papacy. And, and that's wonderful and beautiful and like, from one pope to the next to the next to the next, we'll, we'll get to that. But even more so, I, I think it's just a very personal and profound moment 
that the apostles are going through. So Jesus is sitting with his apostles, he's sitting with the twelve, and he's talking to them, and he says, who do people say that I am? Like, what's the gossip, (laughs) right? What's everybody saying about me? And they all have different ideas. Well, John the Baptist, or Elijah, or or one of the prophets, or this one or that one. And then Jesus turns it from, what's the gossip, to who do you claim me to be? Now at this point, his apostles have been following him. At this point, they've been living with him. They've been eating with him. They've been talking with him. They've been camping out with him. They've been sleeping not far from him. They know Jesus' habits. They know who he is. They know him on a personal level. And he says, so who do you say that I am? Am I just your buddy? Like, am I just the guy that, like, does, like, the really, really cool party tricks? Like, haha, you can't walk? Boom, now you can, right? Like, am I the one that, like, hey, I want to make sure everybody at the wedding gets a chance to get drunk. All right, boom, here was 180 gallons of wine, right? No. Or, or am I something more? Am I just a good teacher? I give a good little story, give a good little homily, and that's about it, and oh great, and kind of, or, or am I the one that like challenges authority for you? Because the Pharisees start, and I tell them something that's kind of quippy and quick, and kind of make them be quiet and send them on their way, embarrass them a little bit. Who do you say that I am? And then Peter, the least likely of the apostles, gives the best answer. You're the Christ. You're the one we've been waiting for. You're the Messiah. You are the one that we've all been patiently waiting for, groaning for, who's going to redeem Israel. Peter gives the perfect answer from an unlikely source. (coughs) And because of it, the way that Jesus responds... He says, blessed are you, Peter. Blessed are you, Simon, Peter, that you are the rock that I'm going to build my church on. Every apostle, I have to believe, is sitting there watching this exchange thinking, Peter? Really? Because he got one answer right. You are going to trust him with being the foundation of what you're doing here? Really? Like, he's not educated, Jesus. Like, if I would be sitting there, I'd be like, he's not educated. We know Matthew was educated. He was a tax collector. He could count. We, we know that he could write. That's how we got the gospel. We, we, you're going to pick Peter over the educated one? Really? You're going to pick Peter over James, who seems to be more of the, the leader of the group, more of kind of the, the, the guy who kind of has a more balanced approach to the world, who might actually be able to catch fish sometimes? Like, he can't even fish. Really? You're going to pick Peter over John, who's like the innocent one, and kind of the suck-up who's always at your hip? Like, really? You're going to pick Peter before you pick him? Yeah. He knows what he's doing. He picks Peter. And he says... Upon this foundation, you have the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Not like Isaiah saying you have the keys to the house of David. Not saying you're going to be able to be in charge of the earthly kingdom of Israel. But he says, you are going to be in charge of something much, much bigger. You're going to be in charge of something much, much bigger than just this world. 
You're going to be in charge of everything that I do and bring to fulfillment, everything that I accomplish. Peter, it's on you, it's on your shoulders, and it's I'm establishing you as the rock and the foundation. In the same way that all the apostles got to be thinking, what on earth are you doing? I would have to believe Peter is probably thinking the same thing. This is the same Peter that's going to fail. Like, like, right before Jesus dies on the cross, he's going to fail. This is the same Peter who, who, who said, I'm full of all his zeal and excitement, decided that he wanted to walk on water, and it sank like a rock. Get it? The rock, Peter? Anyway, okay. <laughs> this is the same Peter who, who inserts foot in mouth all the time. And is probably thinking, I'm going to mess this up. <coughs> and Jesus says, no, 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 no. Because what I'm establishing, you are perfect for. Let me work. It's not your, it's, it's not your ability. It's my Holy Spirit that's going to work in it. Just give it time. Stay close and give it time. The, the, the interesting thing is, is the way that Jesus continues to talk about the mission of Peter and the mission of the church that he's establishing. You see, because he, he doesn't just look at Peter and say, you're the rock and, and we're going to do what y'all think the Messiah is going to do, we, we, that you're going to do what, what y'all think we're, is, the, is the mission that I'm here for. Because the Jews were waiting for someone to come and overthrow the Romans. The Jews were waiting for someone that was going to like rise up and build like a military kind of thing against the Romans. That they were going to be able to be from under Roman oppression at the time in the, in the, like in the Holy Land, right? Like that they wouldn't have to answer to people like Pilate and, and all of their officials and all their Roman officials and pay the taxes to Caesar and all these kind of things. They were waiting for someone that was going to throw the oppressors off and that was going to fight. And Jesus says, wait, <coughs> let me explain to you exactly what we're doing here. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood is not revealed to you, but my heavenly Father. And so I say to you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of the netherworld shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. That's the full response of what Jesus says to Peter. I think there are a couple of details in there that we need to pay attention to. The first thing, the most important thing, um, this hit me one time, and, and it, ever since then, I, I can't help but when I read this scripture, it just keeps jumping out off the page every single time. And, and I want to be just clear. Whenever I think of the church in the world, right, I imagine most of the time, I imagine a church that we come to church and like the rest of the world doesn't touch us in here, right? Like the doors close and, and there's a facade and like we're in a building that looks like a bunker, like you can't attack us in here, right? Like but there's no way you can get in. That what we do in here is not the world and then we go out into the world, but then we have a refuge away from the world here on Sundays for an hour or daily or in the chapel or whatever, right? Like it's, there's a constant like bombardment of the world trying to attack and get at the, at the church. That the gates of hell, that, that hell is fighting and attacking and it's on the offensive, and it's coming after us. But Jesus says, no, 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 that's backwards. 
the battle plan is backwards in my mind. I don't know if you feel that same way, where the world is constantly bombarding us and constantly coming after us, but Jesus is saying, no, 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 that's a backwards battle plan. Because notice the image that he uses. He says that the gates of hell will not prevail. Gates don't attack. Gates do not attack. If I have a gate, if I have a door, and I close it, it's not going to attack me. Like, unless it's Indiana Jones and, like, booby-trapped or something, right? Like, but, like, it, it's not going to come after me. A gate closes in. A gate binds. A gate imprisons. So Jesus says, the gates of hell will not stand against my church. He's actually saying, it's not us being bombarded, being attacked, but instead it's the church on the offensive. Not an offensive church, but a church that is on the offensive, that we go out, that we blow the gates of hell off their hinges. And how? Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. That our battle is not one of, of weapons, it's not one of guns and knives and swords and shields, but the battle is one of love, of the gospel, of God's mercy, that's going to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to anyone who's stuck in sin. That's why Jesus came. His mission was not to cause some kind of uprising of, of, of a political or, or, or military kind of level, but his, his mission was to cause an uprising by turning hell and a prison on its head. And he did so in the most, most confusing way possible by being the one who would die for us. By, by being the one who would atone for sin. And because of that, we have God's, like God's mercy is available to us. God's mercy is given to us. And because if it's given to me, then guess what? It's given to every other person in Thibodeau and beyond. It's given to every other person on this campus and beyond. That our sin is not a a, a prison anymore. But that the key's been offered. The gate has been blown off its hinges. And that God's mercy and love still reigns and still is just as effective as it was 2,000 years ago when he told this to Peter. In fact, the word that we use, the word that we use to talk about the book that we just read from, the Gospel of Matthew, that word, it comes from a Greek word, evangelion, right? So the word gospel comes from a Greek word, evangelion. I'm not Father Bryce. I would get the word probably with a better pronunciation if I was him. Tough. It's something like Evangelion. That word Evangelion was something that was said when Caesar would win a battle, the people, his his troops would ride through the rest of the kingdom cheering out Evangelion. It was a war cry of victory. The gospel of the Lord. The war cry of victory of the Lord. A victory that Christ has won on the cross. Because gates don't attack. But God knocks them down.
The beautiful part is, is that 2,000 years ago, this mission was given to our first pope. This, this mission, like this call was given to our first pope. And it was said, Peter, you're going to be the one who starts this charge. You're going to be the one that after Pentecost is going to continue my mission. You're going to take the keys, my authority, the keys of my, of my mission, and you are going to become Christ on earth for us. And after Pentecost, he preached and 5,000 people converted to the faith. And that faith has been handed down again and again and again and again to us, even to today. I've said this before, and I'll, I'll, I'll probably say it again. The, the last words of the Mass, my favorite words, not just because it's like, oh great, we can go eat, right? <laughs> but the last words of the Mass are one of my favorite, my favorite words. Go and announce the Gospel of the Lord. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. It's an imperative statement. From English people. It's a command. It, 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 it's the church saying, now you go and proclaim the gospel of the Lord. You go and continue this mission. Because if you don't preach the victory cry, the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you don't preach His mercy, then guess what? No one's going to hear it. Church, you go and do it. And the gates of hell shake at a church that's willing to speak. They fall at a church that is open to bringing the sinner back. There was a story um, in April of 2005 uh, when Pope Benedict was elected Pope. So John Paul II dies. Um, a couple of weeks later, they start the conclave. All the cardinals from around the world come together. They're locked in the Sistine Chapel. And throughout the course of the, the days, what they do is, is they have a couple of rounds of voting from the Sistine Chapel. They're in what they call conclave. And they, they all have a couple of rounds of voting. And after they vote and they vote and they vote, um, you, that's whenever they do the whole like watching the chimney, right? Like if you see black smoke, no pope. If you see white smoke, oh, habemus papum, we have a pope. Praise God, everybody cheers. Well, the white smoke hits. The, all the, what ends up happening is, is all the cardinals come out on the front steps of St. Peter's, like on the front like balcony of St. Peter's, and the, whole, the new, newly elected Holy Father makes his first appearance, right? And if you Pope Francis, it's just like, hi, right? Like everybody's like all excited, um, and it's really, really beautiful. Well, when Pope Benedict was elected, he steps out, and he's doing his little... Benedict Ferry does, hi, yes, 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 right? Like the, his little fingers all, and, and waving and, and making like his big thing. There was one of the cardinals, uh, was Cardinal Francis George. Um, he was the cardinal in Chicago. And a camera caught him. And what they saw was, is that Cardinal George is standing just to the left of Pope Benedict. And as he's standing there, he's just looking off into the distance. Kind of a, kind of a calm, you know, like thoughtful kind of gaze, and he's just looking off into the distance. And it, it, one of the, it was one of the major TV networks that caught him. He was zooming out and get, doing a bunch of things. Well, there was one of the reporters in Chicago when he got home, asked him, because they, like, they're asking him how was Conclave, and he's sworn to secrecy, but you can say like, oh, a couple of things here and there, but for the most part, just keep it all in the wraps, the conversations and stuff, but they asked him, they said, Cardinal, when... when when, they, when we saw you on the balcony, on the loggia, looking over St. Peter's Square, you were just kind of gazing off. 
what were you looking at? What were you thinking? And he kind of laughed for a second. He says, actually, I was looking across to ancient Rome. I was looking across to the Circus Maximus where hundreds of thousands of Christians were martyred in the early days of the church. I was looking right beyond that to the, to the palace that the, that the Caesars used to live in. And I was sitting there just thinking, how many men lived in that palace and swore that they would stamp out the church? Where are their descendants? Because I'm standing next to Peter, and their house is in ruin. <clears throat> the world does not win. Hell does not win. Evil does not win. Jesus promised that the gates of hell would not prevail against her church. And if the church lasts for a million more years, Jesus promised that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. What kind of members are the church are we? Of the church are we? Are we ones that sit back and just kind of let the world dictate where we're going to go? Just let people stay imprisoned. Because they're happy and I don't want to impose. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I don't want an awkward conversation, no. Do we proclaim the truths of the faith in their fullness with love and mercy? Do we share and spread the gospel, the good news, the victory hymn of our, of our Lord? And with the faith knowing that the world does not win. Jesus passed on that authority to his apostles who passed it on to their descendants and on and on. And we have been blessed with that authority as baptized Christians. May we know the authority that we have. Believe the faith that we profess. And be bold enough to go and announce the gospel of the Lord. Knowing that hell shakes at that prospect.